Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hello, I'm Shannon Sharp. Welcome to another edition of Club Shay Shay. I am your host, and I'm also the owner the guy that's stopping by the VIP section today really needs no introduction. He's a husband, a father, a grandfather, a rap icon, an actor, an entrepreneur, and a friend of the show and a very good friend of mine, Mr. Snoop Dogg. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice. That's why all my life, I've been grinding all my life. Yeah. All my life, been grinding all my life. Snoop, how we doing today? Shay, shay, shay. Shay, your booty. You good? I'm all good. That's why I got on my, my purple, so, you know, we could represent. Yeah, that's I good. forgot. I forgot also has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Congratulations on that. Thank you, brother Shannon. That's like the equivalent to getting that Hall of Fame jacket. You know what I'm saying? When you when you get that star, they can't take away from it. It'll always be there. Snoop, you're down in Atlanta. Tell the people what you're doing today. Well, I'm out here shooting a television show called Go Big Show for the TBS network. It should be coming out. It's a show where it's extreme acts that's happening. I'm one of the judges, me, Jennifer Nettles, Rosario Dawson and Cody Rhodes, and the host of the show is Burt Kreischer. It's a great show. You've been at ATL before. How is the Southern hospitality treating you? Well, last night, we was trying to get something to eat, and, you know, we had to go ahead and do what Lemon Pepper Lou did, slid on in the magic, <laughs> you know, some of that magic menu, because they food game is, is spectacular. You understand me? Not only is the uh, derb is great, but the, me <laughs> the menu is amazing. You know, Snoop, when, when, when you tell people that, people are like, oh, man, stop playing. But the menu, the catfish nuggets, the wings, the food is A++. It really is, man. They brought steak, shrimp, sal the salad was seasoned so good. I started eating the salad without a fork, Shannon. I went there straight with my hands. Snoop, let, let's talk about the, what's going on right now. We see this, uh, and it, it has been going on for the past couple of years, but I think it kind of came to a head when we saw George Floyd basically get murdered on live television. And then we see the Breonna Taylor, and we see the Jacob Blake. We heard about the Ahmaud Aubrey. We see that where two vigilantes who think they're doing justice, uh, think they're uh, apprehending a robbery, a burglary suspect, kills a man in cold blood. Give me your sense of what's going on in America right now with race relations 
and the police? Oh, well, it's a system that's working to the best of its ability because it was created to hold us down and to keep us down. So the system is working perfectly well. And for you to understand that, that means that the system needs to be taken apart because the times that the system was put together, the black man was 1% uh, of a man at that time. And we've moved on up to 100% of a man now. So we need to change them laws to reflect that. And those laws and those police systems that have been set up to deliberately break down the black man, the colored man, the kid, to keep him in jail, that these jails that they keep building, making money off of, they gotta fill them up. So what better way than to, you know, keep apprehending black suspects, you know, wrongfully shooting us, killing us, accusing us. And we've been crying and griping about it as rappers for years and nobody listened to us. They thought we was just, you know, mad teenagers that said after police or whatnot, but didn't know that it was really, really going on. And until these cameras start popping up and people start seeing what we were saying, then it became a reality. But what I love and understand about what's happening is that you have more people that aren't black that are outraged. And this is the first time I've ever seen this in my life. Usually it's one-sided. It's like, you know, hey, that's your problem. Now people are starting to feel like it's our problem. And that's the beauty of it all that, you know, a lot of people are losing their lives, but the awareness of people coming together and trying to make a difference and standing behind something and saying, I don't want to be that racist and I don't want to be in that vein, it's starting to become more apparent that the world is going to change for the better. We see this incident with Breonna Taylor. Now she was murdered um, on March 13th. They bring down, they convene a grand jury two days ago, I think September, September the 20th. So basically you have six months before this even goes to a grand jury. And I'm not so sure had the George Floyd and Jacob Blake or all these other incidents had happened, I'm not so sure they would have even convened this grand jury. Now they tell me, Snoop, that the grand jury can indict a, a ham sandwich. How can you indict a ham sandwich, but you can't find a way to bring charges of a woman that's awakened in the middle of the night, door flies off the hinges, she's murdered in her own home. And somehow the only indictment you can bring is about an officer firing his firearm into another building and possibly injuring someone, but not the person that actually lost their life. You don't find you can't bring charges against them? That's the law. That's the only way you can uh, explain that is that that's the law that they created. Like I said, the system ain't broke. It's working perfectly fine. That's the way that they designed it. Um, it works for them, not us. And we've always said that, you know, in the regular world, you're innocent to prove guilty. But if you're black, you're guilty to prove it. You're proven innocent. Yep. The other way around is just like that. And the sad part is that you see basketball coaches like Doc Rivers, you know, have an emotional breakdown from just talking about the stress because his father was a police officer. So mm -hmm. it's not like they all are bad. It's not like it's a million bad cops. It's just <clears throat> the systems that are designed to protect those bad cops and to keep them in the light. So we got to find ways to break that down to where the laws are working for us. And some of our communities that we come from, we know how to police our own communities, meaning that ex-gang members come back and they do the right thing and they try to correct the problems that they made by policing the neighborhood and not letting the young homies get involved with gangs, but showing them a positive light to where the police don't have to really come around too much because it's self-protected by those from that community. Yeah, when you look at a police officer and he doesn't live or he's not from the neighborhood that he's policing, he gives a damn really about that neighborhood because he's working an eight hour shift. 
He's going to do what he has to do. If he has to rough a, a few people up, if he has to, as they say, bust a few heads, guess what? He's going to leave the, leave the neighborhood and go home. It's hard, Snoop. They don't understand how to, we understand how to talk to one another in our community. If you're not from that community, how do you understand how to relate, how to talk to someone, how to de-escalate a situation? Because now you got that badge, you all encompassing, and maybe you were bullied. Maybe you were picked on. Maybe it give you the right that you feel emboldened to do certain things. I just think that a lot of times these police officers are given a position of power and they never checked. You got to get checked when you get power, no matter how much power you got, whether that's your partner, your chief, uh, consequences. It's like, we can kill somebody, don't get charged. And if we do get charged, we ain't going to lose the case. We're going to get some money. We're going to get a pension. And we're going to be just fine. Right. On the end, it's like, but if you flip the coin, if somebody shoot a police officer, they're going to get the electric chair. Mm -hmm. Whether it was self-defense or it was a, you know, it was a tussle and it ended up grabbing his gun and shooting, whatever the scenario is, it's the needle. So it needs to be, you know, repercussions and, and consequences for them as well. To me, that's how you read the problem. If an officer knows that no matter who I shoot wrongfully or kill, no matter what color they are, I could be prosecuted, I could lose my pension, and I'm getting, you know, some reprimands, some, some, it's gonna happen to me that I'm gonna lose, then I'll think before, like right. I think before I arrest them, before, look at the white situation, when they arresting a white guy, they got more patience, more understanding, hey, get, it, get on the ground, get on the ground, I'm not gonna tell you again, I, I'm gonna tase you. But the black guy is straight, bah, bah, bah. Right. It, and that's what's so disappointing. And I, I was just talking about it today on the show where I was just uh, reading about a case in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where the white guy is stopped. He doesn't want to go to jail. He has suspended license. He tussles with the two officers. He kills one, shoots the other, goes, and they bring him in alive. What black man you know? The one in Dallas that killed those uh, uh, white police officers, they blew the whole building up to get him. They blew the whole building up. To make sure they get it. They ain't bringing him alive. Ain't no questions. Ain't no, ain't none of this. That's all we're asking. Snoop, we're not asking for anything more than what they give the other. Just fair. Just equal. Equal justice. Equal opportunity. That's all the blacks are asking for. I think the way that we change it is that you got so many young political people who go make a difference. Because it can't change but us just talking, marching, protesting. You see that goes nowhere and nowhere fast. No disrespect to the protests, to the marches, to the people who organize all of that, but they ain't hearing that. They need to hear some knock, knock, who's there? And the only way you can do that is get in their face and give them what they don't want, which is you understanding the law, which is you changing the law, and which is you being a part of the people who make the decisions when it comes to legislation, when it comes to making decisions. We got to get more people like us who have a fair heart to run for these positions and become politicians and not be so stuck on being an athlete, an entertainer, but be stuck on being a politician that could change because athletes and entertainers, we can only do so much. And you mentioned that November, it might be the biggest election of our lifetime, November 3rd. And you've been, you, you talked about voting LeBron James and a lot of athletes, Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka, uh, Patrick Mahone, uh, more than a vote. You said that you're gonna vote for the very first time in your career, in your life. Tell, talk to us about the vote. Tell us what this vote, what this election means to you and what it's going to mean to our community moving forward. 
Well, first of all, I was always told that because I had a felony or criminal record that I couldn't vote. And then once I did a little research, I found out that that's not the case. You can vote no matter what your criminal status is, you can vote, you have the right to that. So I wanna to say to all of the brothers that's watching right now with a criminal record that think that they can't vote, you can't vote. Get your research on it, figure it out and find out how you can because it does matter. So when I found out that I could, I was watching everything that was going on and I was like, my voice is key, but my actions is more important. So I could always say, I want you to vote, you should, you should, you should, but until I do it, it ain't official. So I wanted to step into the realm and do it so that way, when I'm speaking on it, I'm not asking you to do something that I didn't do. You got you started something. Hashtag vote with Snoop Drive. Tell the people what that's about. What that's about. That's going to be um, actual footage of me registering to vote, with me going to vote, and to show you the process of how it could be done and how you know they always try to put hurdles in front of us to make it seem like it's difficult or it's, it's strategically hard to do. But it's really not that hard to do. Anybody can do it. You know, old folks do it. Teenagers do it. You know, no matter what age you are, you can do it. You just got to know how to do it. And I'm going to show you how to do it. But I bring it all to you via video so you can see it and see the, you know, tutorial on how to get it done. Snoop, you mentioned about putting people in position because that's what they did. What did they do? They got candidates. That's how President Trump got in. That's someone that was going to further their agenda. If you look at the sheriffs, if you look at the attorney generals, if you look at the DAs, if you look at the police commissioner, if you look at what they do, they get people that's that's for with their agenda and they raise money and they put them in, in office. That's what we need to do. We need to get people. Okay, no more cash bonds. All that all that bullshit. No, 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 no. We're not going to do that. We're going to get people that's for our gender, that can further our causes. And if you're not on board, we're not voting for you. It's as simple as that. We can find people, Snoop. There are people out there that want our cause. And I'm not going to just vote, vote for you because you're black. If you're black and you're not trying to help us, if you're not trying to further our agenda, get out of my face. Because all skin folk ain't kin folk. So that's how I'm looking at it. If there's a white man that can help, me, help advance my people's agenda, that's who's going to get my vote. I feel like Ice Cube had a great plan and a great situation called a contract with Black America. Yes. He's presenting to the uh, candidate that's running for president against Donald Trump. And to me, I feel him because you got to earn my vote. Like, you don't just get it just to get it. What do I get for me giving you my vote? And that's how the position play is, because whoever's elected has to cut some sort of deal with somebody to get the position to get people to vote for them. Because right. in turn, they're going to get something out of it. When you put me in office, I'm going to take care of your community and make sure this and that and get all of the black people over here. And I'm going to make sure the churches is right and this is right. That's the old game. The new game is now for that vote. We need, rep we need reparations. We need to be, able to be able to open black businesses. We need to be able to get loans. We need to be able to have certain things that we don't have. We need to abolish them police laws and legislations and all of them systems that's, that's broken with the racism. We need to, all that for starters. Then once yeah. you get in your first six months, then we're going to need a new contract to renegotiate like an athlete that didn't put up 100 points. Like, because that's what y'all owe us. And if it's not that, then you don't get to vote, period. So... Obviously, athletes are very influential. Entertainers are very influential. And you mentioned that we can only do so much. 
So what's the expectation? Because it's always, Snoop, if you notice, it's always been the athletes. It's always been the entertainers. But that's not what we were chosen to do. We did, we're not in political office. We need our politicians. You chose to be a civil servant. You chose to be the voice of your constituents. Why can't you do your job? Well, you know what I say? I say some of the best athletes become the best politicians, and it's mm -hmm. been proven. A lot of football players, basketball players that switched their careers to become politicians, and they made a difference. Bill Bradley. Right. Come on. Kevin Johnson. Yep. Come on, man. They was, they was yep. doing it because they felt like, you know what? Y'all don't hear me, but I'm going to make you hear me, and I'm going to get up in there with y'all, and I'm going to play y'all game because right now we're not playing their game, but we win because we have the masses, and we control the masses, and that's the game that they don't. You know, they don't control the cool of it all. We do. We was cool. Well, we say go. So at the same time, when you get 20 celebrities that got over 500 million followers, you put them 500 millions in the votes, and then you got a difference. And then you got people moving and changing. And then out of those 500 million, if you got 10,000 that want to become politicians, now you got a different spirit that's coming up in that office now. Not that old racism that's systemic from way back in the 30s, 40s, 50s, but now nah, the new spirit of people, because there's so many inter interracial relationships and so many people of different walks of life who have to work together, be around each other. Racism is going to be hard in a few minutes. It's going to be real hard in a few minutes. And that's, the, and that's the thing, Snoop, is that when you look at it, and this is what I never understood, is that how some white people could like, oh, daddy, go cheer for the black guy, and they root for the, the, the black guy in the entertainment, they buy the music, and the first time they get mad, or the guy does something, says something that they don't agree with, or the guy drops a pass, you N-word, you this, you that. I'm like, bro, how is that possible? So that's your heart. So really how you feel, as long as I'm entertaining you, be it on the football field, or I'm rapping, or I'm singing, acting, you cool with me. But the moment you disagree with something I have to say, your true feelings actually come out. You are who you are, you know? And we found that out, you know, through our professions. You know what I'm saying? Like, as much as they loved you, they hated you, Shannon. You know, everywhere you went. You know what I'm saying? Even in the place where you won the Super Bowls at. It is what it is. The same with me. But I know how to, to move and show love and, and, and to kill hate with love because that's how my mama raised me. So at the end of the day, either I can be violent or nonviolent. And when I'm nonviolent, I choose to, to use peace over, over the hate that you're putting in my face. And peace always wins. Snoop, let's get to your career. The very first time you got started, you was featured on Dr. Dre uh, debuts Deep Cover, 187, uh, then The Chronic. When you were growing up, was was being a rapper, was that something you always wanted to do? Or were, did you think about being an athlete or being an, uh, uh, being an actor? I mean, what did you want to be when Snoop was growing up? It was a lot of things that I dreamed about. Uh, athlete definitely was first on the list coming from Long Beach. You know what I'm saying? There was a lot of big people that came about the Long Beach that was athletically inclined. So I wanted to be an athlete, but I didn't want to put in the work. I didn't want to practice. <laughs> None of that. So acting <laughs> was a little bit easier for me because all I had to do was work on my, you know, my education and my and my thought process and my writing. So, you know, once I figured out that I could do that, that became my dream. Like 14, 15 years old, that was the only dream I had. I stopped dreaming about playing sports. I stopped dreaming about everything but being a rapper and just learning the dynamics of who was the best rapper in the world who had the best music. I was studying them. I was learning style. I was learning how to freestyle. I just was like, I was putting myself through college when it came to hip hop, when it first came out. 
So how instrumental would you say Dr. Dre has been in Snoop Dogg's uh, career, uh, his life, and what he's been able to accomplish? Well, Dr. Dre was the one who seen the rock in the corner that could become a diamond. And once he got the rock, he shined it up. He like Belichick. You, know, <laughs> you, know you, you got to have a great, you know, coach that can put things in place and assign the right coaching staff, put the players in the best position and have the smartest, you know, players on the field at all time. And that's what Dr. Dre is. He's like a coach. He knows how to bring the best out of you. And that's what he did with me. He brought the best out of me and showed me how to find me. So that way, when I stepped away from him, I was able to grow and to continue to be me and, and always keep that love with him to where we always got that open, close relationship to where there's never an argument between me and him. How did, how did, how did, how did you meet Dr. Dre? How did it come to be? How did the Dr. Dre Snoop Dogg relationship come to be? Well, Dr. Dre's half brother was Warren G. Okay. G was my DJ and one of my best friends coming up and we was in a group 213. So all of my music, was made with Warren G and Nate Dog, So Warren G would always, you know, show up to the NWA parties and do all of the, you know, stuff that brothers could get away with, but I never wanted to show up. So one particular night they had a bachelor party and um, Warren G was there and the music had cut off and he ended up putting on one of our tapes. And when he put the tape on, Dr. Dre heard the tape and liked what he heard and called us to the studio the next couple of days and we started working from there. So Dr. Dre produces your, uh, your first album, Doggy style, so eight hundred thousand copies in the first week. Did you know? Did you know then? I've arrived, or did you like, man? Is this for real? No, I was playing. I was playing the game. I was like, I wanted more. You know what right. I'm saying? It was like, when you know, when you taste it, you know what I'm saying? Because Deep Cover was like getting to the playoffs, right? And then the Chronic was like winning the Super Bowl. And then Doggy Style was like going back to back winning the Super Bowl. Right. So once you taste that, it's like, I don't even do what I normally used to do. Like I work now, I work on trying to be great. I want to make the Dog Pound album dope. I want to make Murder Was The Case soundtrack dope. I want, everything I was on was trying to be better than I was and trying to find ways to stay fresh as opposed to being content with, you know, we went to the Super Bowl twice and we won it all. Nah, I want another one and another one. So let me ask you, Snoop, when you're doing a feature and you on there say with a, with a great artist, when you do your hook, are you trying to take over or are you trying to say, man, this ain't, this, this really not my, this is not my song. This is not my album. Let me just play your role. It's kind of like a great, a great player going to another team and you're like, okay, well, this is his team. I just got here. Let me just play my role. Or do you like, Hey, I'm finna lace this. And if I override you, bro, I just override you. You should have came harder than what you came. That's usually the rapper's mentality is, I'm trying to kill you on every song we own. Like, <laughs> oh, you know, competitive uh, to criticism. Like, I'm gonna criticize you because you didn't come as hard as you could have came. But if you come hard, I'll give you a perfect example. A couple of times I'd have been on songs with people where we would have to go back and rewrite, you know, after hearing somebody's verse, like, oh, <laughs> I gotta go back in. That wasn't right. Oh, now you ain't gonna kill me on my own album. Right. So it, it'd be like that. It'd be scenarios where you bring in somebody that's a goat. And when that goat finished spitting, it's like, oh my God, I got to go back in the, <laughs> I have to redo this thing. You know what I'm saying? I know I've been a couple of times and it's been done to me a couple of times. It's all in the game. So 
of all the albums that you've done, what's your favorite? What's your personal favorite? My favorite album that I've done, uh, it'll probably be my gospel album. Really? Yeah. Just I don't think it, I don't think anybody would would have would have would have guessed that. Right, and I say that because that's the first record that I actually made that grandmamas can listen to it, kids can listen to it. Right. Can listen to it, athletes, you know, women, men. It's it's nothing on there that's negative. It's a great the album is called The Bible of Love. So okay. what I did was I took the Bible and threw all the pages out and rewrote another one where it was all about love. And this music is the soundtrack to it. And I have, you know, great Clark sisters. Um I got man, Marvin Sapp. We got uh, Charlie Wilson. We got uh, Rance Allen. We got Patti LaBelle. I mean, it was goat after goat after goat after goat. And nobody said no. When I said, I'm working on a gospel album, I'd like for you to be on a song. Nobody said, well, well Snoop, you, you do this and you <laughs> Like, brother, we glad your spirit is in the right spot. And when I told him it was for my grandmother, because my grandmother had passed away and she never heard any of my music. Right. Because I never made music that she could listen to. So this right. was a dedication to her. You know what I'm saying? So once they heard that message, it was a, and the record was number one for like eight weeks. It, it did all kind of numbers, but I wasn't tripping off the numbers as much as I was tripping off the feeling that I got and I get every time I hear the record. I cry on certain songs. So it's like, it's an emotional thing with me. Like my rap records, it's a few of them that could get a tear out of me, but not like, you know, like that kind of crime. Right. The whole thing. You, obviously you and Tupac and you were on probably, that's probably one of the biggest rap albums of all time was Tupac album. The, uh, the one that he, when he immediately came out of Clinton Correctional Institute and you were on it with him. What was it like to work with Tupac? And then how was those battles? Because he was it back in, back in, in early 90s, mid 90s. He was it. So I know that had to be, that's like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning in their prime going at it. Right, but remember this. I want him with me. You okay? That's, that's the first key. Right. So and while he in correctional facilities, sure, we need to get caught with us. He need to be with us. Right. I need him with me. Right. Don't have a team and that boy bad. He just out there just by himself. Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? Bring him over here to the franchise where he can flourish. And he also going to make me better because ain't nobody here challenging me like he going to challenge me. He got a different energy. Right. They already content with me being the dog. Right. He ain't going to come here and be content with that. He going <laughs> to come here and make the dog get on his toes. And he showed me a few things and I showed him a few things, but it was more about the chemistry of having somebody that was on your level. Not that everybody on the team wasn't on my level, but I had like outgrew them on the rap tip. Like I had like blew up. So right. it was like they were on my level as far as me, but as far as the public, they wasn't on my level. So he right. was coming in that could challenge Snoop and could possibly take over death row to where I could be the number two guy. Right. Which I had no problem with because I never been one that been greedy. I always made room for everybody to shine. That's why a lot of the people on Death Row Records was able to be on that record. That record could have just been me and Dr. Drake. But me bringing in all of the pieces, RBX, my cousin, Daz, my cousin, Nate Dog, my homie, 
bringing in people and certain pieces to the puzzle to make it better because I'm a team player and I like to be challenged by people who are better than me. I like to be the, the worst player on the team. I like to be the dumbest person in the room. So if that's the case, and I know I'm a great athlete and I know I'm smart, if I'm at the bottom, that means I'm being challenged by those at the, at the top. But if I'm at the top, the bottom ain't going to challenge me. They're going to be content with their role. When did you know? Because the first time I've ever heard of uh, uh, Tupac, he was in Digital Underground. And he was on the uh, hook, uh, the Humpty Dance. Uh, and so when did you know or when did you hear and know about this, this rapper named Tupac? Well, I got wind of him uh, through the Digital Underground with the, uh, All Around the World, the same song. Mm -hmm. And then um, he was putting out solo projects after that. And, you know, in my neighborhood, we, we attract to that kind of music. And he has some sort of like standalone spirit about his stuff to where it was like, you could just see that he was spitting from a place that we could relate to. And then once he put the thug life together, he like formulated with some, you know, some West Coast, some riders and mm -hmm. that gave me more juice. And he got what Laylaw from Above the Law did strictly for my ends. And he just was growing as an artist and, you know, we respect that. It's like an athlete that looks at another athlete that's shining and watching him do all the right things and, you know, saying, man, I wish I could play with him. How could I get him on my team? And just, but just watching him from afar and saluting him and, you know, praising him and giving him all the love. But at the same time, knowing if he was on our team, we'd be that much more better. Did you, you knew, did you, so you knew he could be what he became? Yeah, that's what we had. It's, it's. It's a certain criteria that the, the chosen few had, you know. Right. Ice Cubes, Tupac, E-40, Too Short. You know, you've seen the ones that had that different kind of cut that you felt like everybody in the game is dope, but they different. Like, they a little bit different. Like, they got a different cut to where their music lasts longer, their spirit feel better, and they just feel like they want it more than the average. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger 
feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Snoop, let me ask you a question. Do you feel like rappers, and I'm not, this is not a knock on anybody, but do you feel rappers that write their own raps do it better than someone writing it for them because they feel like you know I can re- you know when when someone gives me something to write and says well, Shannon I want you to do this I gotta write it how I would talk I can't just read it because I can't read what you write because it's not gonna sound like it's coming from me so you might write something but I gotta put it down on paper how I would actually say it so when you write a rap that's you as opposed to someone giving you something well I've been on both sides of that coin okay um, deep cover I wrote all of that, 100% of that. Nothing but a G thing, 100% of that. And that's me and Dr. Dre, but I wrote it in Dr. Dre's voice. Okay. That when I was writing, I was writing like I was him. Okay. Saying it like I was him. And then once he got it, naturally, a few words he said, I wouldn't say it like that, I'm gonna say it like this. All right, well, go ahead, it's yours now, so make it yours. Right. And then on the same note, when I have people write for me, I got a homie named Superfly that write. And when he write for me, he writes for me in my voice. So my voice is what he's writing in. So if I take it and say, well, I want to change a few words, he still wrote it for me. But it's me putting what I feel that going to make it feel all the way like Snoop Dogg. Sometimes I don't have to change none of the words with writers that write for me. It's been a number of writers that have written for me that I don't have to change anything. And I could just take it and just work with it and let it do what it do. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm open like that. And a lot of times when you're writing for somebody, you're actually writing in their voice as opposed okay. to Snoop Dogg going to write a song for Shannon where Shannon going to sound like Snoop. Nah, Shannon going to sound like Shannon. It's just the pen. For example, the song Still DRE. Right. Song. right. Jay-Z wrote that song. The whole song. Even the parts that I sang. <laughs> wow. See, but you didn't know that till I told you that. Right. Because he wrote it in the voice of Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Well, you got Snoop, in order to do that, to write a song in someone else's mannerisms and to know, okay, I'm, I, I, I'm writing this because normally when you write, you write for you. You write how you talk. Right. In order for you to go outside of yourself and write something for how someone else would talk. So write a song how someone else would sing it. Man, that's special. That's a special talent, Snoop. Right, but see, at the same time, you're a fan. Right. So it's not like you just, okay, I'm going to write a song for you. No, I'm a fan of yours. Right. So 
Well, I know your best songs. I know what you sound great on. I know when you do this, you sound well. And I know when you do this. So it's like a coach. Right. I know you can't run a nine route, but I know you can run that seven and that three. <laughs> Press that nine up the book for you, Shay Shake. <laughs> so I'm gonna get down the field. You might shake him up, but you can't get deep. I'm just saying, I'm gonna I'm gonna write the play according to what you, you know what I'm saying, what you can do. So give me give me your your five best rap albums. Mm. You can Slick pick Rick. anybody, your five greatest rap albums of all time. Slick Rick album, uh The Adventures of Slick Rick. Okay. That's, yeah, a number one album. Um okay. Ice Cube Death Certificate. Okay. Uh The Chronic. Okay. Three. Snoop Dog Doggy Style. Okay. Four. And uh, I'm gonna go with LL Cool J, bigger and deaf. Man, you left all eyes on me out. Man, that's my peer, man. You know, <laughs> you, your peers, you don't. Uh, that's just how I am when, when it comes to my. I left, I left Biggie out. I left Pop because yep. they my peers. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm looking at, you know, the ones before me. So also, so if you're looking at those are the five best rap albums, uh, so your five best rappers are, are probably going to be Ice Cube, LL Cool J. Yep, Ice Cube, LL Cool J, Slick Rick. Uh, I'll say Big Daddy Kane and KRS-One. Man, see, now see, I go back with KRS-One and Big Daddy Kane. Come on now. That's that good, That's <laughs> KRS, KRS was a lyricist. I mean, straight up. He, he called LL Cool J out about three weeks ago and told him he didn't want none in that versus battle. Yeah, yeah, you know what? I'm glad you mentioned the versus battle because Snoop, look, there've been a lot of versus battle, but the way you and DMX had it set up, I like that setup because it wasn't someone way over here and someone way over there. And, you know, it might be raining and you're getting static and they, they, they it's messing up. It's right there, everybody's in, in so, what was that like to battle DMX? Because DMX is a peer, it's kind of like a peer also. He is, he, he, he one of my young homies, he a dog though, he a dog. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When you get that young dog that play the same position you play. Right. He, boy, when I get done, he gonna run with it. And that's what he did, because I ran with the game from 92 to 96. He came out 96, 97, 98, and then about 99. You know what I'm saying? He had that on. So it was good to be able to, Get in the ring with somebody that you mutually have love for and you respect their music. And we made it a brotherhood. It wasn't about right. battling him. It was about me celebrating his music, him celebrating mine. Yeah. Our careers, as far as how we, we've come to where we are and how we made music that changed the times and how we hear, still here able to perform that music. So, versus battle, who would you like to see battle? You know, people like, well, and, and I said, who, let's, let's take Dr. Dre. Who could Dr. Dre battle? Quincy Jones. <laughs> you do. That's the only one. You know what, Snoop? That's what I was thinking. I said, the only person that Drake can battle is Quincy. Nobody else can see him. Right. They ain't got enough. <laughs> Unless you double up on him now. Now, they, they can tag team him with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. <laughs> Snoop, Snoop, okay. If they were both alive, head to head, Biggie, Tupac. Mm. They both made great music, great music. And 
I actually love their music like equally, mm -hmm. but I will have to say that Tupac's music probably hit me in the heart a little bit more because he walked on our side the longest. And right. a lot of his music was directly aimed at my heart and my eyes to where I felt it and I seen it. If she was alive, Whitney and Mariah. Whitney? No, you were quick with that was new. You were quick. I don't know, Snoop. I don't know. You know Mariah. Mariah got them. Got you, them you just said that's Whitney, man. The greatest love of all. She took George Benson's song and made it twenty times bigger than him. She took Harden's song and made it twenty times bigger than her. Okay, here. This is this is the one right here. If they're both alive, Michael Jackson and Prince. Mm. Okay, now sit back. Now sit back. Uh huh. <laughs> I mean, because Prince got he got more than time, Sheila E. You know what I'm saying? He got yes. all, all that's, Nate that's all him. He's, yes. And see, but then Mike got the Jackson Five. Yes. When they was 10 years old and 11 and 12, and Mike was, you understand me, singing real hard and loud. Yes. Man, I'm, I'm gonna leave that at a that's gonna be a draw, man. <laughs> God, you know, Prince gonna start playing that guitar. He gonna get on the drum. He gonna yeah. get on that. He get on that piano. He gonna he gonna do what we do in purple, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, Snoop, you obviously I mentioned you're a rapper. You do the entertainment. You do the acting. Is there one that you like better than the other? Um, mm, I kind of like acting. You know what I'm saying, but. Because it's easier for me because I don't have to write the lines and all that. You know, you just do it. Hey, you, you, hey, you just, hey, somebody do all the hard work for you. Yeah, just come in character. But the, the, the rapping, sometimes you got to find, you know, where you, where you're supposed to be. You know, the rap game ain't what it was when I came out in 1992. It's 2020. So I got to right. be able to keep up. I got to still be fresh and not sound old and not be outdated, but be relevant. And then make music that still sticks to my core fans, the ones that have been with me since 92. Right. So now the, 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 it's no more like brick and mortar. There's no more tower records and all the where you go to the malls. You know, back in the day when we were young, we go to the mall, we thumb through the album, or oh, I'm gonna get this one. Or you look at the CD, I'm gonna get this one. There's really nothing like that anymore. It's no more touch and go, it's just streaming down. Streaming, right. And we used to appreciate to touch the album. Yes. My mother had albums up under the component set in the living room and we grabbed that album and look at it and spin it around, look at the pictures on it, the names and, you know what I'm saying, the colors and the pictures and like that was a thrill to be able to look at those records, especially the adult records like the Red Fox and the Rudy Ray Moore. <laughs> yeah. Um, you ain't supposed to get your hands on, but you see them down there too. Like, man, like that feeling was a different kind of feeling. I think that right. feeling was a feeling us make the kind of records that we made too because all of that was important the album cover the look the feel the sound like right now it's just like just get the music out in here and get it to the people right so, so no, i remember you remember and i know you remember this also you used to go and they take the album out and they would actually play the album for you they would take the, the 45 and the 33 they would actually play it for you to make sure let me can i hear this album they would open it they would have a copy. Shout out, shout, out, shout out to the VIP records in Long Beach. I bought my first 
45 from there. Anita Ward rang my bell. And Calvin took it and he grabbed that little yellow thing and put it in the middle. So yep. Fit, and he spent it and he played it. I'm like, yeah, that's the record I want. And I gave him like $3 and I took it home and I played it all day. <laughs> Them were the good old days, Snoop. You know, they had, you know, you go to the store, they had the incense burning, they had, you know, the stuff. You could buy incense, you could buy hair grease, Afro, <laughs> Afro pig. Yeah. You could buy all that stuff, Snoop. Do rags, all that. Cutters. <laughs> On the end of the comb like this, man. Quit yeah. They would even burn the penny into your in your pick for you. Man. <laughs> oh. Look, training day, baby boy, soul playing, the wash, bone. What's your favorite role of all these movies that you played in? Mm. Probably um Bones, Jimmy Bones. I like that character because. It was a chance for me to go back into the 70s, which I was always a fan of the 70s. I grew up in the right. 70s. I was able to play somebody that was in the 70s. And my love interest was Pam Greer. And I fainted the first time I met her. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because you know how that is. Yeah. But not only that, the reason why that's my favorite movie is because the great James Brown yep. called me after the movie came out and said, Snoopy. I want to come sit down and talk with you. I love that movie, Jimmy Bones. He drives out to meet me. So me and him, we sit at a, at a table upstairs in my studio at a park bench table for about three hours. And he telling me how much he loved me in the movie. He loved my character. He loved me as a person and told me to never cut my hair because my hair is my strength. Then he said, um, it's things that you need to do in life that's going to, you know, make you a better person, a better man. He just was giving me so much game and information. Right. It was blowing my mind that I was sitting in front of James Brown and he knew me and he was calling me Snoopy. <laughs> my friends call me Snoopy. You know what I'm saying? Right. So for him to call me that, it just was like, it was touching my heart. And he was really like right in front of me, like right here, like talking to me and right. me stuff. And I was asking him questions about when you had Bootsy Collins and when you did every question I asked, he asked it wasn't nothing off limits. Wow. Training day was unbelievable. I like to watch. You enjoy it. I mean, you, I can see that how you and Dr. Dre, like, that's how we talk. It was nah, bro. Nah, cuz, hey, I got my half. You get yours. Right. You know that roommate game? Everybody that had a roommate that couldn't come up with his money. <laughs> I'm moving out. Hey, hey, what was it like working with Denzel? You know what? That I was, that was dope because it was in a blood neighborhood, right, in the in the jungles. And you know, I'm from a Crip neighborhood, so first of all, they got all these trailers set up in their neighborhood. Right. So I get out, because you know, naturally, this is what I do, and I find out who got the medicine. And I reach out for the medicine, man, and I, they walk me into projects, and I get a relationship with them, and now we good, so now the hood loves Snoop Dogg. Now I go back to my trailer, and I'm in there kicking it, and I get a knock on the door, and it's Denzel. So he come in, he laced me with the game. Like, he don't say nothing about the role I'm playing or nothing, but just the way he talking to me. Right. I could tell he basically just getting all of that star stuff out. Get it out. Get it out. We finna be on screen together. Right. All right. You, you right? You good now? All right, <laughs> I'll see you on the set. You know what I'm saying? He came and gave me that, that right. conversation that we break the ice early. Right. When I got to the set, 
I was in full acting mode. Like, okay, I didn't already met Cut. We good now. So I ain't finna be on. So no you were gonna get out there, freeze up, like, man, I'm on, I'm on screen with Denzel. Oh my goodness! It would have happened if he didn't come give me that. You know that. You know how you got to come in and talk to the champ. You got to get the champ right. right. You can't come in the locker room and get him right. You mentioned you go to long. You from Long Beach? You go to Long Beach Poly, and one. Uh, you have another classmate that's famous in her own right, Cameron Diaz. Did you know each other in high school? Now, this is crazy. Cameron Diaz, Willie McGinnis, and myself all was at the same high school at the same time, and we all ran together. Cameron okay. was a cheerleader. Willie Mack was a football player, and I was the rapper. So we all either had a class together. We either It was something that was intertwined. Right. Mack and her graduated the same year. I graduated in 89. They graduated in 88. Okay. So we grew up together. We knew each other in school. We associated, we hung out. So when the success kicked in, it was like we were happy for each other, but we kind of like knew because it was flashes of it. You know how that light be flickering? Yeah. Young, and you could be like, man, Willie Mack could go to the NFL. Like, man, if Snoop keep rapping, he may, you know, he may be something. You know what, Cameron could probably be an actress. And then it really happened. It's like, you know what, they showed signs. They actually okay. really put their best foot forward by pursuing their dreams and really making it their only thing. Snoop, you've been in the, the game almost three decades. I've known you for two and a half decades. How have you been able to stay on top of your game, stay relevant, and still you be adored by the old school and the new school, pay Snoop Dogg homage? I think it's being able to uh, touch hands with the youth and always stay rooted with the community as far as the youngsters. Like when I started my youth football league in 2005, that was probably the greatest work I could ever do because it, it threw me right into the hood, into the belly of the beast to where I had to be out there and I was coaching and I was up close and personal and I was meeting people, touching them, hearing their stories, being affected by them and learning what it is to struggle because I had lost my struggle because I had made it. So when I came back, that showed me how to stay relevant by staying in tune and keeping one foot on the turf and one foot in the suites. Snoop, now all, all the rappers, they refer to you and they don't call you Snoop, they call you Unk. I mean, that, <laughs> and, and, that, and that's the treatment that I get now. And at first I'm like, well, I was wondering why they call us, but then I'm like, hold on. That's, that's in our community, that's a term of endearment. That's respect, you know that, Shannon. Yeah, you, you don't get no higher than that. You don't get that with no respect. That comes with a level of respect. But yes. the funny thing is, I'm finna be 49, right? Now when a rapper that's 53, Come up to you and say, "What's up, Unc? Time out. Nah, cool. <laughs> nah, cool. <laughs> Time out. I'm your nephew, partner. You got me about four years. Slow it down. <laughs> Come on, dude. It's a fact. I know you didn't deal with that too. They do that all the time. Man, but yeah, but you know what? Now, Snoop, uh, for real. I mean, when I meet people, nobody calls me by my name. Everybody calls me that. Everybody calls me Snoop? Unc now because. Yeah. The level of respect that we have for you on television, let me give you your flowers while you're here. You are our uncle that's on TV talking for us, saying what we can't say. You get what I'm saying? And the way you and Skip do y'all thing is, is beautiful. It's holy matrimony. You understand me? And it's to see a white man and a black man agree to disagree, love each other, yep. get understanding, start the show, live. That's what the world's supposed to be based on. Like, I ain't got to like everything you say, but I right. love you. Right. I think that's the biggest thing, what people don't understand. Snoop, 
I'm the first athlete to do what I do full time because before me, all the guys that did this were journalists because they said uh, 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 an athlete, yeah, he can talk about his sports, but what does he know about baseball? What did, he play, what did he know about basketball if he didn't play those sports? And Skip fought, even when Fox tried to push back, he says, no, I'm only doing the show if I can have him. That was a white man that did that. I know there are a lot of black men that would have said, well, if I can, you mean you're going to cancel my show? If I don't, okay, I'll go in another direction. He said, nah. He said, I want him. I'm going to do only do the show if I get him. But when we found out about Skip, he was raised by a black boy. Yep. You hear me? Yeah. We found that out. Well, we wanted to hug Skip even harder. We wanted to right. squeeze him by the neck and hug him even harder <laughs> and know that he was really one of us because we've been ready to trade somebody for him months ago. Yeah. <laughs> hey, who's the funniest, funny, I mean, obviously, you. the thing is with Snoop with you, obviously, and you're from your background, so you know the greatest rappers. You've been in the entertainment, the acting side, so you know actors. And so you've met a lot of comedians. You've met a lot of famous people. Who's some of the funniest people you met? Charlie Murphy, um, Mike Epps, uh, Eddie Murphy, Dave Chappelle. Cat Williams, um, man, I didn't know. Are they, are they funny like that all the time? Because I met someone that said Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey was like in in character like all the time. You know who oh. was funny all the time? Rest in peace, Ricky Harris. Ricky Harris, yeah. yeah, he was he was our voice for radio station W Balls. He was like the the voice to all of the stuff that we did, the co comedic elements to all of those records in the mm -hmm. death days. He was somebody that I went to church with that I grew up with, mm -hmm. and just watching me and him in church. And his daddy was the preacher, so that lets you know what kind of clown he was. So he would always, you know, say something funny, do something funny, and he stayed funny all the time. You roasted Donald Trump. What was that like? I want to do it again. <laughs> Nah, I mean, it was good for the cause because at the time, he wasn't as bad as he is. Right. Know? And that's what people don't understand is that power and fame could change you, man. Yes. He's the perfect example because he was a high guy until he got all of that power. Now, when he had a little bit of power, some towers over here and a little television show over here, and, you know, he'd get in a few venues and whatnot and have some golf tournaments, it was controllable. But when right. you give a man that much power and that much fame, it becomes uncontrollable. And that's where I felt like me and his relationship would end based off of, you know, the way he started acting when he got that power. We said it all the time, man, you acting funny when you get money. Yeah, but he been had money, but he acting funny because he got power because he's able right. to do certain things and make things move in a different way because a president is different than, you know, a governor, a mayor, or a senator. Oh, you could have all the money in the world. Give me power. Jeff Bezos got a, a 200 billion, but he doesn't have the power that President Trump has. All these billionaires, they got, there's a lot, they're probably 2,000 people that got more money than President Trump, but they ain't got the power he has. Power trumps all. Right, and that's, and that's crazy when somebody like that has that kind of power. I've always believed in that as a kid that God don't make no mistakes and he allows things to happen. So we can learn from these things and, and get better as a community, as a, as a people and as a world. So I'm just looking at it for what it is and what it's worth. I know that it's God's plan on November 3rd to make a difference because we didn't been through enough for this year alone. And not only just this last four years, but this clown in office.
Let's talk about the Clippers. Now you heard this all Snoop, all they talked about when we got Anthony Davis and and, and, and Kawhi snatched the rug out from under us because he was going to come to us and then he put a last-minute power play, all the power to him. Oh, now Kawhi going to take over L.A. It's going to be Clipper Town. It's going to be Kawhi, yada, yada, yada. Now, all of a sudden, the Nuggets drag them in seven games and not everybody mad at us. How good does that make you feel that the Clippers caught that L? I mean, I, mean, I felt real good. I ain't going <laughs> to I, you know what I did? I got Marcellus Wiley and Clipper Daryl number from somebody, and they didn't know it was me, right? So the first thing I did was send them a couple of little, you know, gifts of a crying Jordan with a Clipper shirt on, and I sent them, you know, a, a championship trophy and a hand way over here saying social distancing. <laughs> and I put a video on there. Good morning. It's your friendly neighborhood Laker. If you have a game today, press one. If you don't have a game today, Hang up. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Clipper Daryl, he always on people's timeline talking about clip, clipper, clipper, clippers. And, and Marcel is always clip city, clip, clip. And they called that, really? They called that, they called that, uh, that delicious ale with cinnamon <laughs> on top and icing and, you know, with ice cream on the side. They called that big ale, that LL Cool J. <laughs> You've always been a Laker fan. Give me your give me your top five Lakers. So cause you go back to Showtime Lakers. So you yeah. saw some of the great, obviously, you know, Will and Elgin and, and Jerry, you know, and but you can add them. Give me your top five Lakers of all time in order. Not just just name five. I need the top five in order. Okay. We're gonna go number five. We're gonna go with uh I'm gonna go with Shaq. Okay. Shaq at five. Shaq at five. At four. Wilt is still. Okay. Game. Quit playing. We big right now. We real big. Real, real big. Then okay. at, the, at the three, watch this. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, my God. Oh, no. No, you didn't. No, you didn't put the captain at three. I got him at the three. And at the two. Uh-oh. This is it. Drum roll. The number two. The number two Laker of all time is... Kobe, Jelly Bean Bryant. Okay, okay. It only leaves one slot, baby. It only one. The Magic Man. Magic, baby. <laughs> That's where I got all my game from. I grew up playing like Magic, passing the ball, looking out like being a, a, a unselfish player. Like watching Magic in the 80s made you want to get the ball to the best player on the team. It made you want to run up and down the flow. It made you want to like be a real flow general and you know, run a team, you know what I'm saying? So to me, he went to the most championships. He had the hardest road to get to the championship. And I always say this, I watched him win a national championship at Michigan State mm -hmm. against Larry Bird. The next year, he came to the Lakers, Kareem broke his ankle. We was against Dr. J. This is when Dr. J was the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Dr. J, Dale Dawkins, Caldwell uh, Jones, Bobby Jones, Bobby Jones, Maurice Cheeks, Andrew yeah. Tony, they were loaded. Mm -hmm. Magic say, hold on, Kareem. Don't trip. We up three games to two in Philly. If we lose, it's gonna be three, three, and we probably gonna lose game seven. I'ma play center. Watch out. Do second quarter. I'ma play forward. Who? Third quarter. I'ma play the two guard. 
fourth quarter, I'm going to run the point and run these punks up out of here so we can get this championship and get on back home to the cap. Wow. At 20 years old. He was, hey, he was special. People, yeah. Doc, is you good? But until you win a championship at 20 years old on the come out, you ain't magic. Nah. Snoop, so, you know, we would look at it, and 2020 got off to a terrible start because we, we got some news on a Sunday, the last Sunday in January, that the beloved Kobe Bryant had tragically lost his life in a helicopter accident. Where were you when you got the news, and what, what went through your mind? I was in a hotel room somewhere, and um, when I got the news, I'm like, man, this ain't, I ain't trying to hear that, you know. We naturally was trying to throw it out like this ain't true. Nah, right. I don't see it. I don't believe it. And it ain't true. And then it started like coming on my timeline and I turned the TV on and they started showing the, the, the debris and all of the, like the stuff that I didn't want to see. And then they, then they went from, you know, him to his daughter. And that's when I was like, Oh my God. Like that, that broke me in half. Like just to hear that. You know what I'm saying? That just broke me all the way in half and I couldn't even move for a minute. I was stuck because you just think about what he was doing and what he was accomplishing and how him and his daughter were showing up everywhere and how he was speaking out for the women basketball. He was doing so good with his life after basketball. Snoop, you got into coaching. You got your own little Pop Warner team. You travel the country. You play anybody, anywhere, anytime. You've gone to Florida, you've gone to Texas, you've gone to Washington. Why did you want to get into coaching? Well, first of all, it was my son. My oldest son was playing football. And um, I was just volunteering in the beginning. And then one of the coaches asked me to actually get out there and help him put some plays together because we was playing Madden against each other. He's like, man, I think you can put together some cool plays. So we started putting together plays. And I started, like, researching, like, I want to learn, like, I got that book on uh, how to be a, a, a dummies. I don't forgot the name of it, <laughs> but the dummies in football. Coaching coach. for dummies. Exactly. So I got that and was looking at, you know, plays and certain things. And I started talking to other coaches. And then I said, you know what? I want to put my own league together because this league that my son is playing is not catered to the urban communities. Everybody don't have $300 to pay for a kid to play. So I created my own league, the Snoop U Football League. And what I designed was, a league to where each kid paid $100 to play. If there was a second kid in the house, he only had to pay $50. So what that means if Shannon, you my cousin, and your mama got $100, but my mama don't, now we finna go and be on your plan, and now you only gotta pay 50 because we cousins, and it's gonna work like that. So we did that and made the grade point average. You had to have a 2.3 GPA to play. So it was student athlete, finances that could help the community. And then we started getting ex-gang members to come back and help coach. And that became real inspirational because these are the guys that mean the most to the community because in the 80s, they were looking as heroes. Now they can come back and give you a real example of going to the penitentiary, you know, fighting cases now to helping you fight to be on the right side and not go through what, go through what they went through. So we built a program that has sent well over hundreds of kids to division one programs, well over thousands of kids who graduated from high school. We have road scholars, doctors, lawyers, football players, basketball players, teachers. We have some of the finest people to come out of my football league. 
that started in the league. And it was just off of a hope and a prayer that we wanted to give them something financially and something they could do. And it became a big, you know, venture that's sent people to the Super Bowl. One of my kids played on the Bronco team, Ronnie Young, was, was the running back for the um, Broncos the year they won that Super Bowl. Yeah, you mentioned that you had a lot of guys that come through your league. Uh, didn't uh, John Ross play in your league? John Ross, Juju Smith-Schuster. There's a lot of guys that came out of that league that, you know, make a difference and do their thing. Anthony Thomas, Black Mamba. Right. Also, this week we found out that Deion Sanders is going back to coach, be a head coach at the HBCU Jackson State. Uh, how do you think, Ty, how do you think Coach Prime going to do? Because you and I both know him on a different level, and we know he's always wanted to coach. That was always his passion to help help these uh, uh, kids become better people, better men, and in the process, help you get to the next level, whatever that next level may be. That's always been his passion. That's beautiful that Prime is at the HBCU because now we can start sending kids there with a real purpose because a lot of times it's unattractive because they try to make it look unattractive. But when you got somebody like Dion, who's prestigious, smart, sharp, understands football, now the HBCUs look attractive again. And now they look like that's what we need to be because if y'all know or not, in the beginning, that's all we had was the HBCUs. That's what the NFL came and built They league off of. They came and founded their league out of the HBCU because that's where all that talent was. Mm -hmm. And to those other universities start stealing our kids, taking our fame, and stripping us down and throwing us to the curb when it go bad. So the HBCU is the best thing going. I'm totally behind that. I'm totally with that. Dion is a friend of mine. My family is from Mississippi, so I'm going to be going out there working with him, you know, helping him get that thing moving and grooving. Um, I think it's a great look just because he's so into those kids. He loves mm -hmm. kids. You know anything about Deion Sanders? He loves them babies. Them babies mean the world. He does. He loves the kids. <laughs> he loves them. And he <laughs> loves giving them access to people like you and me and, and access to things that can inspire them to go to big places. So by him getting that HBCU university job, I just feel like I could see him playing against Alabama or Florida State in a year or two just to take the game because Prime going to take the game. Right. Just get that experience and get that look. And it's going to be some shine that's going to show up. And that's what Prime going to be able to do. He's going to be able to put some light on those historic black college universities that need that and that deserve that. Absolutely right. Because now you're getting somebody that comes sits on your couch and he can tell your mom or your grandma or family member or whomever in charge. is like, yeah, I, I know your son. Now, your son has what it takes to get to the next level. I would like to help your son get to that next level. But by the same token, now I'm going to make sure he goes to class. I'm going to make sure he graduates. I'm going to make sure he becomes a better person, a better man, a better person in the community. Because, you know, a lot of times they, they promise that. But what happens when that kid can no longer help them win games? Man, they cut you out once the season over. I mean, once the visit over with you, regular. You know what I'm saying? That's why I feel like the HBCU is more of a brotherhood and a, and a fraternity of brothers who look out. Whether it's good or bad, whether you have an athletic position in life, they want to make sure you got a position in life in general. Like they want to make sure that you're financially taken care of, that you're mentally stable, that you have a job, you're secure, and that your kids and your generation of people can keep going to this university because HBCUs are basically generational schools to yep. where my grandfather went there, my whoop-de-wop went there. So it's a traditional thing. It's not like these universities that have a, a star running back that'll win a Heisman Trophy for you. And his daddy cut a deal on the side to make a few dollars. 
and you want to strip him and take his championship trophy away. And when you want to ban him from the school and act like he didn't bring all them kids that came behind him to want to go to the university because of that five he wore in the jersey, not because of them colors of the jersey. So I'm really with the HBCU because I got a problem with the NCAA. Like, I, I don't like the NCAA because they've been stealing money and robbing kids for years. And I'm kind of glad that ain't nobody in the crowds right now, so they can't make no money. So they got to suffer and understand that when the game get back right, you got to pay them athletes. Right. Let's talk about your NFL team. You are diehard Pittsburgh Steelers fans, and their defense has been lights out. How are you feeling about your Steelers, and what do you expect out of them this year? I like that we under the radar. I like <laughs> and I like that they own the Chiefs and they own the Ravens and Buffalo. Yeah, talk about it. Go ahead, be all on them. We're going to hit you in the mouth when you ain't looking. Ben getting his groove back right. The receiving core, you know what I'm saying? They was a little bit of fidgety, but they getting back right. They're going to understand. Y'all got to hold on to them balls. Tight end right. game is right. You know what I'm saying? But that defense is what sparks it all. You got to be able to stop P. Diddy Mahomes and, and <laughs> Jackson. You got to be able to stop when they come and trying to put 40 up. You understand me? Right. Like You, know, you got to be able to put that wall up, and I feel like we getting that wall right on the back end and the front end. The term GOAT, G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. Snoop, we hear that word thrown out a lot. It seems like every time in sports, somebody has a good game, he the GOAT. In football, they have a good game, he the GOAT. A rapper sells a million, has a million streams, he's the GOAT. Do you think we, we use that term too loosely, too freely? No, we using that word right. See, they, they keep missing the first word, Billy. Go. <laughs> <laughs> See? <laughs> now, don't it? <clears throat> don't it make sense now, Shannon? Yeah, yes. Look, Billy, go. <laughs> so, give me your top five NFL players of all time. Mm. Oh, you cut me deep, Shrek. Yeah, yeah. All Somebody go get left out. Yeah, they're going to get left all the way out. Don't <laughs> call in my phone. I'm going to go. I ain't going to give you no order because I ain't going okay. to. It's just too much. <laughs> but I'm definitely going Lawrence Taylor. Okay. LT, he would be in my top five. I'm watching LT beat people up as a kid. He was. <laughs> LT was. A lot of people don't go back as far as you and I do, Snoop. So they don't really. They, they think what these guys, the defensive guys are doing right now. But it is it. He was it. It. <laughs> I'm gonna go with uh. I'm gonna go with Dion. Okay. Dion was on the field first down, second down, third down, and fourth down. Correct. He had to get that punt. Yeah. On D first to third, and then sometimes he may be on the other first down catching the pass. Yeah, and he was on. He started his career on kickoffs too, on kick return. He may get five downs in a row. Who yeah. does? Yeah. Then I'm gonna have to go get one of my Steelers, man. I gotta go get one of my Steelers. I gotta Ooh. get. I'm going to go get Mean Joe Green. <laughs> okay. And me, man, Mean Joe took that jersey as a kid, drunk that. So you tell me you didn't want. Man, drink that soul. everybody loved the Steelers when I was growing up. Everybody loved the Pittsburgh Steelers. There it is. There, so gotta put Mean Joe in there. All right, here we go. We're getting tricky now because I got to get in the backfield. I got to go in the backfield. <sighs> I didn't see Jim Brown play. Okay. And I'm mad. I'm mad I didn't see him play. 
But I did see Eric Dickerson play. Okay. He was nasty. I like ED. Yeah, ED was raw. ED was <laughs> in that Jerry Curl coming up. Jerry Curl in that role. Stepping on you with the neck. <laughs> Come on, ED, you make it, baby. I'm going to put you in there. All my LA fans are going to love me for that one. And last but not least, mm, this going to hurt. Because <sighs> I got some receiver friends that's really my friends. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. You, 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 you ain't got but one spot, and you done left. You done left three guys off. I know. So you got one spot, and you got Jerry Rice is not on there yet. Joe Montana, nor Tom Brady. <clears throat> Randy Moss ain't on there either. Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, you. <laughs> it's gonna hurt. It's gonna hurt. Y'all got to forgive me. I'm gonna go with the Mississippi kid, Jerry Lee Rice. Okay. <laughs> Okay, now I need the top five NBA players. Mm. Wow. Top five. I'm going to throw him out there right now because I've seen him and he hurt my feelings a lot of time. Larry Bird. Okay, Larry Bird. I'm going to get that out the way right now. Larry, you in there. Um, Michael Jordan. Okay, two. Got three spots left, Snoop. Magic Johnson. Three. Two spots left, Snoop. Kareem. Okay. Hey, okay. No, okay. no. You got one spot left. You got one spot left. Kobe, Shaq, LeBron, Will. Uh oh. Do 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 do. Do with championships or my favorite team. This pick got to do with who my game resembled as a kid in the 70s and 80s, and to this day, George Iceman Gervin. <laughs> and his poster. And remember that poster, Shannon? He got, the two, he got two, he got two, he fitting on two blocks of ice. Quit he playing. fit on the block of ice and he got the balls cut. Quit playing with me. <laughs> you ain't got no poster like that, sit down. Sir. <laughs> the poster game, and back then, back in the 80s, the poster game was strong, Snoop. You know, if you had a poster, you had nothing. Get out of here, man. <laughs> Snoop, bro, I really appreciate it. I know you're busy. I know you were shooting this. You died in production. And to give me an hour of your time today, bro, I really appreciate it. So thanks for coming on. God bless. All the best going forward. And look here, man. You need to buy your brother a car for wrecking his car that time. <laughs> Hey, Snoop, I was down there, them honeys, them honeys was down there, and I got, you know, I got like, damn, bam. That always happens. So break bread or fake dead pain back. Snoop, I ain't gonna lie, I broke bread with him. I got my big, I got my big payday. I sent him 300K. Okay, well, we, I, I took, because big brother's got to get taken care of. Big yeah, brother. yeah, I took care of him. I'm still taking care of him. He's still on the payroll to this day. Trust me. <laughs> Double S. Appreciate it, Snoop. All the best, bro. I love, appreciate y'all. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Wanna slice, got to roll the dice. That's why, all my life, I've been grinding all my life. Look, all my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Wanna slice, got to roll the dice. That's why, all my life, I've been grinding all my life. 
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.